Welcome to Autism in Action Podcast, where we help families connect with resources, services, and support in all things autism. The mission of Autism in Action Podcast is to help bridge the gap of accessibility to services by connecting listeners with individual support, autism awareness, and education. Tasha Rollins and Chris Hansen share expert interviews, autism topics, and supportive services each week. From the East Coast to the West Coast, they've got you covered. Coming to you from upstate South Carolina, Tasha has over 20 years experience as a special needs parent. In 2018, she started Rollins Counseling LLC, a private practice offering counseling services to her community. In 2019, she noticed through her personal and professional experience, the growing gap in transitional services of autism and launched the Autism in Action podcast. In 2020, she created Rollins Coaching, offering families transitional coaching for young adults that need goal-oriented action steps to move forward into adulthood. In 2021, she began Rollins Consulting, which provides professionals with ongoing autism education to better serve their clients. Coming to you from Western Washington, Chris has over eight years experience as a special educator where he developed a thriving high school life skill and community-based learning program in Kent School District. In September of 2019, he started Life Skills Advocate, a transition support company where he provides local and virtual executive functioning and life skill coaching, as well as academic and vocational support to teens and adults with diverse learning needs. This is Tasha from the Autism in Action podcast. Hey, and this is Chris from Life Skills Advocate. Is your learner so consumed with social media that they spend all their focus and time and energy on wanting to become a YouTube star or Twitch star or social media influencer? Are you worried that they lack the skills, the self-discipline, and the executive functioning required to make this a reality? Does any of the following sound familiar? You don't understand anything about social media, Mom. It's not that hard to get a few thousand followers. If he can make a bunch of money on YouTube, so can I. Introducing the Raising a Wannabe YouTube Star free email course, a straightforward and evidence-based way to help your learner master attainable goal setting. In this course, we'll walk you through how to have these tough conversations with your learner and make their goals more attainable. We will deliver five email lessons packed full of actionable steps to engage your teen or young adult in a way that will guide them to make better informed decisions about matching their goals with real world applications. To sign up, just go to lifeskillsadvocate.com forward slash YouTube star and receive instant access to the free course.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Autism in Action podcast. Today, we've got another very special guest. I'm Tasha Rollins, and yeah. this is... I'm Chris Hansen. And we, our special guest today is Miss Allison Hamilton. She is coming to you out of Maryland, and she has founded an amazing group on Facebook that I discovered. It's called Advocate Like Mother. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you so much for taking time to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So, so could you tell us a little bit about how you got started and, and some of the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, I'm originally a journalist, switched into clinical social work. Um, and not long after I finished my master's, my daughter, Leah, um, who's now 20, I'm dating myself here, <laughs> but um, started showing signs that maybe her development was um, lagging in certain areas. So um, she was diagnosed uh, shortly before her third birthday. And that definitely, as many of us, as with many of us, it changed um, the trajectory of my life and career probably. Um, all of, I, had, I had what I think of as like a bonus internship as a social worker, learning about navigating professionals, navigating school systems, um, navigating all of the outside therapies that our kids often need. Um, so it's, it's been a journey. I, and all of a sudden I woke up one morning and realized I'd been on this journey for 17 plus years. Um, and I've learned a few things, but one of the things certainly that has been a full-time job is navigating her through systems, particularly the school system. So she is also looking at a next chapter. Um, I'm looking at needing to support her through her next chapter. And I, and I was also interested in potentially um, getting into coaching work and giving something back to the community. So I thought, where, you know, what can I share? And certainly um, many years of IEP experience. Yes. <laughs> seem to be an area where I could do some good. Mm -hmm. And when we're thinking about IEPs, we know it's like just the, one of the most complex processes a, a parent can go through with all the, the legalese and just unknowns and just so many acronyms, you know, more, more than I can even, I can even think of. Um, but like when a parent comes to you and they're really feeling overwhelmed with the process, like what, what do you do to sort of coach them through it in the, in the beginning and then get them feeling confident to sort of advocate for themselves? Usually, and this is probably where the social worker plus journalist um, comes in. I, I like to say between having studied journalism and social work, it puts me in the upper echelon of nosiness. Uh -huh. So I usually, I usually try to, to drill down um, pretty quickly to figure out what the immediate problem is. Um, actually, I heard from somebody this week um, who said, the school is um, telling me that my child has to switch back to virtual instruction because they're seeing a lot of behaviors and the child's a danger to themselves and others. So that set off a couple of alarm bells for me. Um, so, but the first couple of questions I asked, one is, do they have a behavior intervention plan? Because if not, that's step one. Because um, it's a really it's a really slippery slope in general when schools start saying we're changing this you know go back to virtual come pick them up today 
because of their behaviors. Um, it's one of my pet peeves because really all you're doing is kicking a problem down the road. You're also in danger of reinforcing the very negative behaviors that you're trying to deal with. Yes. Um, certainly my daughter over the years has learned to communicate a lot through behavior. Um, she could give a masterclass probably on some escape avoidance techniques. I mean, if you oh. did that with my daughter, if she acted out in school and your solution was to call and have her picked up, she would file that away in her memory and say, next time I'm not feeling it, I'm doing that again. Mm -hmm. So instead of addressing a problem, it's kicking it down the road. And so I asked that parent, that's the first thing I asked because clearly something's not right in the, you know, behavior management universe if this child is acting out um, so much. And I certainly have found with my own daughter and I think the majority of kids on the spectrum, they don't act out just for the heck of it. There's a right. reason. Yeah. And you need to figure out what that reason is. They're communicating something. Um, so it's, it's on, a, you know, first and foremost, us as parents, it's one of the areas that we can advocate most effectively is really understanding what our child's trying to communicate with behavior. Um, so that was one of the things that bugged me. But then I also, the other thing, the other alarm bell that set off. So I, I said to the parent, does the school agree that this behavior is a manifestation of this child's disability? Because special education law addresses that as well. There are limits to how much schools can suspend a child um, with a disability for behavior that is a manifestation of that disability. So if, and if they agree that it is, then you have to say to yourself, really, is that even permissible? Because if, if this child is behaving this way because of his disability, you're basically saying you have to choose virtual instruction because of his disability rather. And that gets into sort of discriminatory right. territory. So those are the things, uh, those are the things I would try to pull out of the team because those are some legal avenues that can help the parent. And of course, the most immediate area is what's going on with this child. And I, the answer came back, no, the child doesn't have a BIP. Well, that's step one. Actually, step one is one step before the BIP is to do a functional behavioral assessment, yeah. which by the way, they're not gonna get a good one of if the child's not in school. Right. Exactly. You really need to look at the environment. So, and, and the reality is our kids are wired very differently in certain ways. There are things that um, even here at home with one daughter on the spectrum and two daughters who are neurotypical, um, you know, if all three of them did the same thing that I didn't like, my way of addressing it with the neurotypical ones would be sometimes completely different than the one with autism. Goal is the same, shape the behavior, you know, take something you don't want out of the equation and teach a replacement behavior that is, you know, less disruptive or more pro-social. Right. Well, my wonder is, is like, what would the district district do if virtual learning hadn't happened through the pandemic? They, they would have to find a, a solution, right? It wouldn't just, right. or, or I suppose they could suspend, but then again, you like you said, you, you have to get into the whole manifest determination process and, mm -hmm really understand it where that behavior is coming from if it's a disability manifestation or not 
Um, and then um, I really like what you said in, in terms of uh, understanding like the function of the behavior. Um, and, and if it is an escape mechanism, then sending them home is going to be exactly what they want to, to drive the behavior going forward. So, yes, yeah, that's exactly. And the other thing that, you know, parents should watch for in that arena it too, is if their kid's getting sent to the office mm -hmm. a lot, because again, they're taking them out of the instructional environment, but yes. that can also be rewarding. Um, not just for, again, our kids on the spectrum, but neurotypical kids. I had a, I have a friend once uh, who's a teacher and her daughter was in kindergarten at her school and she did something. I don't know if she drew on a bathroom wall or something. And the assistant principal said, well, she needs to come in and have lunch, you know, miss recess and spend lunch period with Mrs. Jones. I don't remember who it was, but um, the mom was very savvy. She said, no, that's not going to work she likes Mrs. Jones. That's not going to be a deterrent. Right. <laughs> so how about you give me some paint and I'll have her help me paint over the wall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so. I think that that's, you know, very important things to mention. We definitely don't want to reinforce those behaviors that we're trying to help them improve on, right? By, by sending them home or sending them to the teacher. I know in my experience, my oldest son, who's now out of high school, but when he was in middle school, he was always wanting to come home and go into the office and his nurse file was that big. I mean, it was enormous. And it got to the point where I had to draw the line and say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. You know, so really knowing how to advocate with mm -hmm. the staff, tell them what your expectations are you know, can you talk a little bit more about that, how parents can address the staff and how they sure. can advocate? Sure. And it, some of it comes down to knowing your child and sharing, being, being willing to be open with the team. Does that mean they need to know every medication or supplement your child's taking? No. Um, but some of it is, you know, for example, I, I won't, I won't pick up my daughter and I'm very lucky that she's in a school where that's not asked of me. They, they get her. They even get that occasionally she gets car sick on the bus. So they won't, and they know what she looks like when she's sick versus mm -hmm. when she's trying to convince people that she's sick. Yes. Big the difference. more energy she's putting into her performance, the less sick she feels. Yes. But my, my general rule of thumb is there, you know, and this was pre COVID, but there's gotta be blood vomit or a fever. Yes. Or, you know, chill them out, send them back to class. And that might be, you know, if the nurse isn't finding those signs, great. You get 10 minutes to, to chill out and then you've got to go back. You get 10 minutes. Often at that middle school level too, something that can be really helpful for some of our kids, um, some of the ones who have the skill level um, and the academic skills to travel, you know, with the gen ed students um, can be giving them a break pass. And if they're getting overwhelmed, they can flash the brake pass at the teacher. It can be really helpful to set rules and limits on how that can be used. Um, like you can go to the water fountain, come back, or you can go to this designated area of the school, you stay 10 minutes, then you need to return to class. It depends on the, the student, but I can, I can think of one that I worked with um, just helping with social skills some years back. And at the middle school level, some of our kids um, can really have trouble with dealing in an, in an environment where kids are breaking the rules. Yes. And what do middle schoolers do? Break the rules. Push the envelope. Yeah. <laughs> my, by the 
time my twins were freshmen in high school, they were rolling their eyes at annoying middle schoolers. And I'm going, you know, you just, just finished eighth grade last year. They're like, I know, I'm so glad. (laughs) But, and, and that certainly is something, you know, across the educational lifespan, triggers can change. Yes. Needs can change. Um, I actually think for a lot of our kids, the transition from elementary to middle is probably the biggest one Mm. because it's such a leap in independence and such a leap in expectation for all the kids, not just, again, not just the special ed students about how they're supposed to manage themselves and navigate the environment. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you say is like, maybe one or two things um, parents should be looking for when, when they're, you know, in, in the IEP process and they're like, this is maybe a little bit more than I can handle. I think I need an advocate. How, how do they know when it's time to go there? Um, when I, when I, I can tell you when I needed, when I knew my daughter needed a non-public placement, mm-hmm. um, this was actually her sixth grade year. You want to talk about crazy transitions from elementary to middle. Um, it was clear, it was a series of meetings. And I think that's one of the, the things you don't realize at first is that depending on what your child needs, it can be, um, a process. It can take multiple meetings to get a district to agree that, yes, there needs to be a change Mm -hmm. in placement. Um, I got to the point where I think my daughter's whole team agreed, um, that what was happening wasn't working. But I could tell that they weren't gonna agree with me about where she needed to go next. So it probably depends on how hard the brick wall is that you're running into. And it can depend a little bit on what the issues are. Um, I luckily have never had, I've never, I've had to file a couple of state complaints around around transportation of all things. Hmm. Um, and each state has its own procedures, its own procedural safeguards. Um, Maryland has you know a state complaint process. Those are for complaints you know when the team's not following the IEP. We were having some issues with transportation services, which are an IEP service. Um, and that was an appropriate way to address it. Um, my goal has always been to stay out of due process because that's really stacked against parents. It's yes. expensive. Schools will spend plenty of money to fight those cases. It's difficult to do. Um, so I think, and I think one of the reasons that I haven't needed a lot of that, um, a lot of, I mean, other than this big one, because I, I knew they were going to push back at me because I wanted them to spend a lot of money to send my daughter to a non-public placement. So I thought, let me invite someone to sit next to me who's um, sued them for. <laughs> this was just a regular IAP meeting, though. It was not due process. But a lot of if you if you can, over time, build a good rapport with the school system, build good communication it can really make IEP meetings easier overall. Mm-hmm. And granted, there are, there are some who are intractable. There are some administrators who don't wanna listen. Um, and then maybe having an advocate can help. But I, I also find that advocacy really is a 12 month, 365 day a year process. 
um, because all year round, I'm looking at point sheets, looking for trends in behavior. I'm looking at work samples um, to see how she's doing. I'm, you know, if she has a few days in a row where um, she's had an off day, I might communicate and say, what do we think the trigger is? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of, I'm, and it's two purposes. Obviously I want to smooth out school is a big part of it, but I'm also gathering information so that if I see a pattern that something's not working, you know, I can come into a meeting or I can have a conference or whatever and say, what are we going to do next? So a certain amount of it um, always is keeping communication open and keeping a paper trail. And I do as much of that communication as I can in writing for the reasons of, of having a paper trail. You know, if I do have a phone conversation, a good technique is then to, to write an email and recap it. Per our conversation, we agreed on X, Y, and Z. Is that your recollection too? And if they either don't respond or say, yes, that's my recollection, there you go. There's your, your paper yes. trail. And so really nurturing those relationships is so important. And then communicating is how you nurture right. those relationships. Right. Well, and even, even with this, it was her sixth grade year that was a hot mess. And this was the special educator meant well. Um, she was in over her head, probably further over her head, even than she realized. But I, I worked hard to keep things professional. And I also understood in, in her case, it was less about her, the environment there were not the right supports for my daughter in that environment. So by sort of external separating the two, the environment from the personnel, I was able to keep a good relationship with the teacher. And when I needed her to say, okay, this isn't, you know, X, Y, and Z aren't working at an IEP meeting on the record. She did that. Yes. But I think that's because we were able to reach an understanding and it is, it, it is, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like it's managing people, not only your child sometimes, but the other people who are working with them. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the best way for our listeners to get, get in touch with you if they're in the Maryland area or if they want to join you on social? Mm-hmm. Well, so they can, they can find me on Facebook. I think you're going to paste these in the yes, show notes. Right? So I have a group called Advocate Like a Mother. It's free. Join me would be delighted to have more people in there. Um, asking questions and giving feedback. I also have a website, allisonhamilton.net. I spell Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N. And that people in the state of Maryland where I'm a licensed social worker, um, you know, I'm I'm a therapy provider there, but I also have a link to the coaching, the coaching group on Facebook. Well, you're offering some very needed services and I'm sure that you're helping a multitude of families throughout the process. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, you're welcome. I found, you know, it was, if I can shorten the learning curve for some families, I think that's helpful. It certainly, I, I felt like by, um, my daughter had been out of birth to five for about a year and a half before I realized what the questions were I should have asked when she was in birth to five. So if I can help shorten the time, I was lucky, you know, I did have some good school teams and I always understood her. So even if, even in the early going, when there were times I might not fully have understood special education law, I understood her enough that we were able to get what we needed. Yes. 
Well, you guys go check out Miss Allison Hamilton. Advocate Like Mother on Facebook. Join that free Facebook group. Visit her website and um, check her out. Thank you so much for being here, Allison. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Does your teen or young adult struggle to know what to do when faced with social situations? Does their confidence take a hit as a result? We may have just what you're looking for. Introducing the Real Life Social Skills video course brought to you by Life Skills Advocate and Social Skills Laboratory, where we walk learners through how to engage in concrete real life communication in an interactive way. The introductory conversation skills unit includes lessons like how to determine good conversation candidates, joining group conversations already in progress, and advanced skills like interpreting literal versus figurative communication. The complete course includes so much more. To learn more, visit lifeskillsadvocate.com slash social skills course and watch the first lesson for free. And as a special thank you to our listeners, enter promo code autism in action, all one word, to receive a 20% off discount. Autism in Action podcast is so excited to partner with the Champion Autism Network to bring the CanCard program to you. That's right, to your neighborhood, to your local businesses. We want to help you guys connect. We want to help you guys create autism awareness right where you are. If you are interested in partnering with us with the Autism in Action podcast, please send me an email autism in action podcast at gmail.com to get started put can card sign up in the subject line can card sign up and we'll get you connected with becky the champion autism network so that you guys can bring this amazing program to your community judgment stares and rude comments isolate families with autism. It's easier to just stay home. But it's a beautiful world and we want families with autism to come play with us. I'm Becky Large, founder and executive director of the Champion Autism Network, a nonprofit corporation based in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. Isolation is a problem for most autism families. To tackle this problem, we took surveys of our families asking them what they wanted. The number one answer was to be able to go out to a restaurant. We began training restaurants on the needs of families with autism. In response to restaurants asking, how will we know if a family with autism is at our establishment? And knowing that families with autism are reluctant to publish, publicly share they have autism, we needed a simple, discreet, and dignified way for families to identify themselves. So we developed the CanCard program. To overcome families' reluctance, we got businesses to offer discounts and services, incentivizing them to show the card. As a result, the CAN card is becoming the AAA card of autism travel. To become involved in the CAN card club, businesses undergo a vetting process, as not all businesses are suited to serving the needs of autism families. Everyone can be aware and accepting, however, not every business is a fit. The CAN card offers a two-on-one value proposition. Families benefit from the peace of mind knowing all participating businesses are vetted 
and to what level they are aware and committed, whether that be participating, certified supportive, or certified champion. They also benefit from the service or discounts that member businesses provide, like moving to the head of the line or receiving a percentage off. Businesses benefit from the economic opportunity and social good that result from serving this loyal and growing population. There are several options for business engagement with three certification levels in an expanding variety of industries. Our online on-demand training is currently available in English and Spanish for resorts, restaurants, retail, and general autism awareness. Like autism, which has grown exponentially, the CAN card started with 37 families and now is used by nearly 2,000 throughout the U.S. and four countries. Our business model is a win-win for all entities. Just like a matrix, there are infinite points of entry. Families subscribe to the CAN card club. Member businesses become certified. Nonprofit affiliates increase their reach and generate recurring revenue. CAN ambassadors bring the CAN programs to their neighborhoods. Communities support inclusivity. The CAN card program is the vehicle that gets autism families out of the house and out into the world of support and acceptance. You are now part of the matrix. How will you welcome autism families to come play? Come play with us. Yes, you can. Thank you so much for listening to the Autism in Action podcast. Please visit us online at autisminactionpodcast.com. Subscribe to our newsletter to receive updates and join in the conversation at the Autism in Action Facebook group to stay connected. On our website, you'll find all the current episodes. And if you're interested in watching the featured guest interviews, head on over to YouTube and check us out with the Autism in Action Podcast YouTube channel.